Today's reading is Psalm 96, 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom all is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. These are the words of our Lord. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. I also want to welcome those of you that are on YouTube Live right now. Thank you for, for tuning in and for those that will be watching the rest of this day and throughout this week. God bless you guys. Hearing the voice of God. This is the grand finale of this series. This has been a great series. I've really enjoyed it. It's been very helpful for me. I hope it's been helpful for you. This is part seven, practicing the presence of God. This is perhaps my favorite probably of all. That's why we saved it for the very last, but uh, enjoying God's presence. It's the best part of being a Christian is that we have the presence of God, and we're gonna learn how to practice his presence. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 16, chapter 16. Those were the verses that were just read. Let me ask you a question, see if you can answer this. They didn't do so well last night. Let's see how well you guys do this morning. Here's my question for you. What is the most frequent command in the Bible? Fear not. Fear not. Three of you got it. So fear not. Don't be afraid. What's the most frequent promise in the Bible? I will be with you. Some of you are kind of like, oh, I'm not sure what that is. So the most frequent command in the Bible, fear not, the most frequent promise in the Bible is I will be with you. Take a look at your sermon notes there, part of the intro. The most frequent promise in the Bible is God's presence with us. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, really, it, it, the writer there is really emphatic. He, he just wants us to know that uh, God has promised us, in fact, this is how it goes. It says that I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. There's a real uh, emphasis on that. And then, of course, uh, one of my favorite verses, Isaiah 41:10. fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
Those are promises. So you got a command, fear not. Then you got the promise, I will be with you. And that's really what practicing the presence of God is, just being aware of his presence. And, and so this idea of the, the most frequent promise in the Bible of God's presence with us is not some abstract theological concept, but a vital moment by moment, intimate connection with a deeply personal God. We can know the, the creator and the sustainer of the heavens and the earth. God is closer than you think and more eager to connect with you than you could ever, ever dream or imagine. And, uh, and nothing, nothing is more soul-satisfying than practicing the presence of God. That's where we're headed with this study. I think that's what Psalm 16 is all about. Practicing the presence of God. So we're going to answer three questions here. What is it? How do we do it? I'll give you some practical advice on how to do that. And then what are the benefits? This, this uh, chapter is packed with benefits of what it means to practice the presence of God. also defines it for us. So first of all, what is it? And look at verses 7 and 8. Keep your Bibles open because I'll be referring back to the various verses there. And so these two verses will help us to really understand it, it really defines it for us. He says, I bless the Lord. So the, when, it, when you read in the Old Testament, you got all capital letters for Lord. That's his personal name, Yahweh. I am that I am. And so I was talking about a personal relationship with God, knowing personally, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. So verse 7 helping us to define a little bit of this practicing the presence of God. Both day and night, the Lord is counseling me and instructing me. Anybody wake up in, early in the morning and you feel like God's speaking to you? He's counseling you. Something's been on your heart or mind. You go to bed with it. You wake up. God begins to speak to you at night or maybe even throughout the day as he's, as he's counseling you, instructing you. That's what he's talking about here. Both day and night, the Lord is counseling me and instructing me. And then verse 8, this is a great memory verse. I shared this verse with my sister a number of years ago just before she was going into surgery. She's in extreme pain, and they, they kind of botched the surgery that they, that they had done. She was a little bit fearful, and that's to be expected. And I said, I said these verses, I prayed these verses, this particular verse uh, over her in that particular time. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. It's a great memory verse, great verse. And so uh, I have set the Lord always before me. That's part of practicing the presence of God, understanding his presence with us. Uh, let me give you a couple different translations. Uh, NLT puts it this way, I know the Lord is always with me. NIV, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. So you're very conscientious of the presence of God. And then the next part of that, because he is at my right hand, because he's at my right hand. It's interesting, it's a figure of speech, because most people are right-handed. If you're left-handed, you're messed up. And uh, I'm just kidding, just kidding. If you're left, anybody left-handed here? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me kiss up now, okay? I have found that left-handed people are more creative <laughs> and they tend to be more analytical. Of course, I had a guy sitting in the second row in the, from the front here last night and said, I'm not creative or analytical. <laughs> no, I think he is analytical. He's just not very creative. But, 
Okay, so I apologize for that uh, insult on being left-handed. The fact is, is the Bible talks about that because most people are, but it's a figure of speech. So I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my left hand. Because if you're left-handed, now because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Here's what one commentator said. He put it this way. To be at someone's right hand is to be their advocate their advocate in court, support in battle, and companion for their journey. I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. He's my strength. He's my savior. He's the one that's always with me. He's going to take care of me. He's going to protect me and provide for me. That's what it means. Pretty amazing. In Christ, this is all literally true. Now, there's a uh, 17th century French monk known as Brother Lawrence. He wrote a small book that has become a Christian classic, and it's called Practicing the Presence of God. It is a manual of sorts for anyone who wants to learn how to walk continually in the presence of God, and so I gave you his definition from that book on your sermon notes there. Let me walk through those, uh, through that with you. We should practice God's presence through a continuing conversation with him. So that would be a definition of practicing the presence of God, continuing conversation with him. You're just talking with him throughout the day. That it would be shameful to trade such a relationship for trivial foolishness. And that we should feed our souls on the highest thoughts of God. These parts that I've underlined, kind of, I want to emphasize those. We can find deep joy by simply being with the Lord, being with the Lord. Now, there's a lot of translations of this book out there. I would encourage you to maybe, if you're going to get one, get the For Today's Reader by Robert Elmer. It's one I enjoy reading. But there's a, a number of them that are free out there if you want to listen to them. They're a little bit awkward. They're a little bit harder to follow because of their language. But uh, they're all good. So go back to that part that's underlined, a continuing conversation with him. Feed our souls on the highest thoughts of God by simply being with the Lord. That is perhaps, understanding this idea of practicing the presence of God has been the most life-changing thing in my life, and really understanding that He's with us, always with us. And I'll make a distinction between the omnipresence of God versus the manifested presence of God. There's certainly a difference between the two. We know that He's always with us, omnipresence of God, the Bible promises us, but we're also talking about the manifested presence of God, where we, we truly interact with him and know that he's there. We have a sense of it on our heart that he's there. We don't always experience that. I certainly don't. And so I rely on the omnipresence of God to kind of walk me through that. But let me read to you a couple more excerpts from that book that I found really quite helpful, kind of help you to understand a little bit more of what this idea of practicing the presence of God is. This is what he says. I don't know of a better, sweeter life than an unbroken conversation with God. God's presence has become so much a part of my life that has become the source of nonstop comfort and peace. In fact, for the past 30 years, the joy has been so intense that once in a while I've had to tone it down around people who wouldn't understand. I can relate to that, actually. It's like, I know these people are going to think I'm crazy. I better just put on the brakes. He says elsewhere, when I realize that God has placed such a great treasure in my heart, 
I didn't have to go out looking for it anymore. I didn't worry about finding it uh, anymore because God's beautiful treasure was all there right in front of me like an unlimited expense account. I have permission to take and use any part of this treasure I want. We are so blind and should pity those who are satisfied with so little. God has the never-ending treasure. Better yet, God is the never-ending treasure. Practicing his presence is the never-ending treasure. So there's that there's the definition. It's almost like interacting with a friend and getting to know a friend and enjoying the company of a friend. I don't know if you, when you get together with a friend, you haven't been with that friend for a while and the time just flies. That's kind of the idea. Keeping in mind always that this friend of ours is the king of the universe, never to forget that. So there's this humble confidence in, in our relationship with him. And it's learning how to practice his presence. So how do we do it? Now this next part is just practical advice on this idea of practicing the presence of God from the fuller context of Scripture. So we're looking at the fuller context of Scripture. And so here's the first thought. My desire for God is high and low, but his desire for me is a constant high. Psalm 103, 11, how much does God love you? How much do you think God loves you? When you approach God, what do you think he's thinking about you? This is what it says in Psalm 103, 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. As high as the heavens are above the earth. How high are the heavens above the earth? <laughs> Incalculable. You cannot calculate his love for you. When you come and begin to relate to God, have this relationship with him, you, you need to always keep in mind that he's a God who has greater desire for you than you have for him. His love for you is incalculable. And, and by the way, that might be why you don't spend as much time with him because you have a distorted idea of God. Your concept of God determines the quality of your relationship with him. Once you really get to know him, oh my goodness, you're gonna to wanna to spend time with him. You wanna to get to know him. You wanna grow in your relationship with him. Why wouldn't you practice his presence? It, there's something that might be blocking that. Your concept of God determines the quality of your relationship with him. So you need to work on your concept. Man, I'm telling you, no one loves you like he loves you. No one has greater desire for you than he has for you. It tells us in Lamentations 3, 21 through 23, Jeremiah's kicking through the rubble of the devastation of Israel, basically says, man, if it wasn't for your steadfast love, we would be consumed. In fact, your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So how eager is God for you to connect with him? Hebrews 12, 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, saying, no big deal. I would do that for you. My joy is to connect you with myself and the Father through my death. 
How about Romans 8, 31 and 32? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, he didn't spare his own son in building the bridge across the chasm of our sins so that we could have an intimate relationship with him. How eager is God for you to connect with him? Very, very eager because he did not spare his own son in bringing us up close and personal to him. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his desire for us. Now, it doesn't take skill or high IQ, just a heart sold out for Christ to do that. Here's the next point on your notes. So how do we do it? It's increasing my capacity to recognize and experience God's presence can be learned through spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines. After you fill in the blank, turn to the person next to you real quick and just say, uh, what is your favorite spiritual discipline? If they don't know what a spiritual discipline is, you might want to define that. For so real, do that really quickly. What is, what's your favorite spiritual discipline? What are spiritual disciplines, anybody? Coming to church, okay, this is a spiritual discipline right here. Okay. Prayer, Bible study, Read, what's that? Reading scripture. Reading scripture, memorizing scripture, yes. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, that would be a, a part of that discipline, working through that, working the forgiveness that we've received from, received from God into our lives so that we can forgive others, kind of working through that, yep. A lot of spiritual disciplines. It says in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, physical training is of some value. You hear that? Some of you need to, need to hear that one. I'm just kidding. I won't point you out in here. Um, physical training is of some value, but, but spiritual training, he says training in godliness has value for both this life and the life to come. So there's this training that we do through spiritual disciplines. If, if we want to increase our capacity to, to recognize and experience God's presence, it's through spiritual disciplines. Godliness, when we train to godliness, it just means God-centeredness or practicing his presence. Here's the next one. God is always at work in my life. Whether or not I can sense him, therefore I must persevere. This is a good one right here because I don't always have that sense of God's presence. Now, I made a distinction between the omnipresence of God, he's always with us, and then the manifested presence of God. The manifested presence of God is having the sense on your heart. We'll talk more about it as we work through these notes. But having a sense of his presence. Sometimes you come into church and you just have this overwhelming sense, maybe through the, the worship in song or through the study of God's word, you just have that, whoa, God's speaking to me. He's here today. We all long for that. I wish I had that more often than I do. But when I don't have that, I persevere. And I always go back to those moments when I've had that. And it doesn't mean that he's not working in my life during those times. That's why we got to hang on to this. God is always at work in my life, whether or not I can sense him. Therefore, I must persevere. That's why I like Psalm 42, uh, because it's, uh, the psalmist there is struggling with uh, having a sense of the presence. He understands the omnipresence of God. He just doesn't have the sense of the presence of God on his heart. That's why it starts off, as the deer pants for the streams of water, how my soul pants for you, O God. When can I go and be with God? I want to have the sense of it on my heart. 
And he's even working through issues inwardly because he says later on in verse 11, actually a couple times in this psalm, he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I know this is going to turn around. I know I'm going to get to a place where I'm going to be able to sense his presence again. But right now, I'm just going to persevere. I'm going to keep practicing his presence. I'm going to keep thinking about him and praising him and worshiping him and interacting with him. That's why it tells us in Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in well-doing because in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. I mean, think about this. If just because you, can't have a, you don't have a sense of his presence and you kind of feel like you're just robotically going through the motions with your personal devotions or coming to church, doesn't mean he's not working. He's still working. But you persevere on through that. You rely on past experiences with him and then you look ahead for greater experiences in the future as he brings those to you. But you don't grow weary, don't grow weary, don't grow weary in well-doing because in due season you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. That's why I like what C.S. Lewis says. He, he talks about faith. Faith is the art of holding on to things that your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. So what is your reason once accepted? That he told me in Isaiah 41.10 that he will never leave me. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, help you, uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a fact. He wrote it down just so that we could carry that around with us. So I cling to that. Faith is the art of holding on to things. Your reason is once accepted in spite of your changing moods, in spite of the roller coaster that we're all on. We all face that. We all struggle with that, but we persevere. We keep talking to him. We keep... We, Keep practicing his presence. And then the goal is to meet God. Here's the next thought on your notes. The goal is to meet God in this moment. Even though I'm tempted to live outside this moment, losing my sense of God's presence. And when I fail, I can immediately get back in this moment. Here's our problem is that we, I think we're even worse in this culture. I think it's all the, all the social media, information overload, we're so easily distracted, whether it's on YouTube or whatever social media outlet, whatever it might be, we just scan, we scan, we scan. We very seldom sit, focus in that moment. Very seldom are we in the moment. We tend to focus on our past, what happened this last week, regret further back, struggle, bitterness, or we're thinking about the future. And if you want to meet God, you got to be in the moment. This is where he speaks to us, in the moment. Even when we come to church here, we've got to learn how to be in the moment. That's hard. We're such a distracted group of people. The goal is to meet God in this moment, even though I'm tempted to live outside this moment, losing my sense of God's presence. Matthew 15, 8 through 9 these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're not living in the moment. They're just going through the motions, it's just robotic. They're not thinking about me. I put on your notes there, search YouTube for prayer early. It's P-R-A-Y-E-R, -E prayer with an L-Y at the end. Uh, one of our very own uh, members here, Lynn Phillips, uh, created that. and. and 
and I do that the very first thing in the morning. I did it this morning, and it's about a 10-minute walks you through verses with some music, and it really helps me to focus. Now, when I first started doing it, man, my, my thoughts were all over the place, and now I'm learning. It's a discipline to focus during that time, and oh, my goodness, God speaks to me through that time. Many times the verses that he puts in there are what I need for that day, and I'll, I'll do a screenshot, click, and take it with me throughout the day and meditate on it as God speaks to me. And so we've got to learn how to sit quietly before God and be in the moment. I love the story of uh, Genesis 28. Jacob, remember he's sleeping and he has this dream, this, this stairway to heaven. That's where Led Zeppelin got that song. And uh, that's a lie, but uh, it's not true. But, but it's a ladder back and forth. You got the angels you know, going back and forth, and then God speaks to him with this promise. But I wanted you to hear what he says. This is so us. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. So my prayer week in and week out is that you would wake up from your sleep, that I would wake up from my sleep and recognize that God is in this place. He is here right now, and he wants to meet with you. We would wake up and go, oh my goodness, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. <laughs> Let me tell you, when you encounter God, when you get to know him, you're going to go, oh, my goodness, there's nothing better. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, not just in this place, not just in this place, but in your place when you meet with him throughout the day. You can be aware of his presence in your life. You can experience God. And then every thought, here's your next, next point on your notes, every thought can move me either closer to God or further from God. So we're kind of going down into our soul, into our heart, into our mind. Every thought can move me either closer to God or further from God. Remember the heart chart last week we showed you? <clears throat> okay. Three of you know. I had to just preach the same message over and over again for about a month, huh? No, many of you go back online and listen to it, so okay, you got that covered. So the heart chart. So the Bible uses the word heart 900 times. So what does a heart mean? It means your mind, emotion, will. But something much deeper, it's your treasure. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that is where, where your heart will be also. So what controls your thoughts, emotions, actions? Your treasure. What are you treasuring the most? So we got to keep that in mind. What am I thinking about? Where's my mind? And i got to get control of those thoughts and put those thoughts on my, tr- my treasure, Christ, as opposed to other treasures in our, in our thoughts and minds. But every thought can move me either closer to God or, or farther from God. Listen to what Romans 8, 5 through 6 says. For those who live according to the flesh, according to the flesh would be created things. I'm building my life, my identity, my security on created things. 
Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, created things. But those who live according to the Spirit, that would be the Creator, focusing on the Creator. Your identity's in Him, your security's in Him. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So you're naturally, your mind is going to go to those things that are ultimately your treasure. What are you living for? So it's either going to go to the created things or the Creator. Not that your created things need some time and attention. That's, that's, we understand that. But where does it go mostly? What, do you, what motivates your life? He goes on and says, for to set the mind... So our mindset, you have a mindset. You want to identify what your mindset is. For to set the mind on the flesh, created things, build your identity on created things, is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. The reason why we don't have life and peace is because we're preoccupied with all the created things. So we're stressed out, we're worried, we're anxious because we're focused on created things as opposed to the creator who's so much bigger and better than all the created things. Here's the next point on your notes. Every part of my life, family, friends, work, play, worship is very important to God and can be lived for his glory by practicing his presence. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So for Brother Lawrence... Work time was no different from prayer time. This is fascinating. He worked in a monastery kitchen. And even in the noise, this is what he says, even in the noise and clatter of the kitchen with different people calling for different things all at once, I still know God's presence with just as much real peace as if I were on my knees at communion. That's pretty fascinating to be able to cultivate that level of practicing his presence that wherever you go, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And the best way to, to do that is by uh, living, living for an audience of one, practicing his presence. So what are the benefits to this? What are the benefits? Well, this whole chapter lays out. There's a benefit in every one of these verses. There's 11 verses. We're going to cover all of them. Let's knock it out. Here we go. All the benefits of practicing his presence. He will be your refuge in bad times. Look at verse 1. Keep your Bibles open. We'll refer back to each verse. Preserve me, O God, for you, for in you I take refuge. So let me ask you this kind of personal question. What do you do? Where do you go? What refuge do you rely on when you're stressed, worried, anxious? You have a refuge. We all do. Hopefully it's God, but oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes we go to other things, alcohol, drugs, food, binge on TV, sleep. Mine tends to be late at night, I'm working through, I'm kind of anxious. I don't recognize I'm anxious, I'm just anxious, and I, I go to the refrigerator and look for that ice cream that Nancy bought this last week and then make sure that she's got that hot fudge up in the, on the counter there and then I sprinkle it with some, uh, some roasted peanuts. That is so good. It soothes me. It helps me. Actually, it doesn't. It's just especially before I go to bed at night. But that's, I mean, I would... 
I would catch myself, and then she would catch me. She'd go, hey, are you hungry? No, get off my back. And typically, when she'd ask me that, I'd go, man, actually, I'm not. I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm anxious. What do you go to? What do you do? When you can begin to recognize that, and you recognize that you're using a bowl of ice cream in placement of God, <laughs> it sounds crazy, doesn't it? Yes, it is. We all do that. And so when I would put the brakes on and say, ah, you know what, I probably just need a little more time with the Lord tonight before I go to bed. That would probably help me sleep better anyway. That bowl of ice cream probably not going to help me sleep. <laughs> and so, I mean, what is it? He's saying, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. He's our refuge. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. When I am anxious and worried and stressed, overwhelmed by life, I'm telling you, the times that I run to him as my refuge makes all the difference. Makes all the difference. Here's the next one. He will be your reason for good times. So he will be your refuge in bad times, but he'll be your reason for good times. Look at verse 2 of our text. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. What does he mean by that? Well, not only does every good and perfect gift come from God, James 1, 17, I think that's what he's saying. I have no good apart from you. In other words, all the good I have in my life, it's a gift from you and a pointer back to you. But life has no meaning apart from you also is what he's saying. Even if I have all the good things in this life without you, I don't really have any direction or any meaning in my life. That's what he's saying. And, uh, and so what we want to learn to do is that we, I, I think you can increase your, your enjoyment of, of food or ice cream or whatever it might be by not letting your praise and adoration terminate on the, as it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How do you do that? When you're eating uh, lunch or brunch, whatever you're gonna do after this service, um, last night they went out all for ice cream after the service, just after I talked about ice cream. So, so whatever it is you go out to, you can use that as an opportunity of worship, recognizing that every good and perfect gift comes from God, and not letting your adoration and praise terminate on, on your lunch, but letting it roll on up to the creator who gave you those things. And I think it increases your enjoyment of those things, whether it be a sunrise, sunset, beautiful landscape, whatever it is, is that I believe that Christians can have the greatest enjoyment out of all of those things because we know who gave us those things. And we can interact with him and know him and practice his presence in the midst of those things. And he will be your reason for good times. So he will be your refu refuge in bad times. He will be your reason for good, good times. Here's your next one. You will love Christian community. That's the next one. Look at verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So the more you get to know him, the more you're going to want to connect with others. And there's not, I don't think there's any greater joy than hanging out with other believers who love Jesus and who will inspire and increase your capacity to experience more of God in your life. I, I absolutely love it. I love our gather, gathering week in and week out. I love the small groups that we've got going on. 
I love all of that. I love the, the fact that we can increase each other's capacity to experience the presence of God. In fact, I believe there's a dynamic of God's presence that you can experience in community that you can't experience on your own. I think it's just, it, there's a synergy to that. It's increased. And that's what he's talking about here. You will love Christian community. Here's the next one, a little harder hitting. Idols will lose their appeal. So when you practice the presence of God, idols will lose their appeal. Look at verse 4. This is a fascinating verse. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So I'm not going to hang out with these people that... uh, or into idolatry, which we all struggle with idolatry. Idolatry is loving anything more than we love God. It's taking secondary things and making them primary in our lives. Oftentimes they're good things, marriage, family, job, money, but then we make it our identity, our security, our significance. And this is what he's saying. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. I mean, do you get it? Do you understand what he's saying? This is good stuff. This is good counsel. This is good therapy. I'm telling you. He's saying that you build your identity on created things, it's going to let you down inevitably because they're temporary. They're transient. They're not going to last forever. You're going to lose loved ones. You're going to have hard times. Difficulties and suffering will take those created things away from you. But if you've built your identity on Christ... In him alone, all those other things are secondary. And you'll still be sad. You'll still be worried. But it won't carry the same weight. That's what he's saying. The sorrows of those will increase who run after another God. So what are the idols of our day? All the things I just said. Taking, taking secondary things and turning them into primary things. In our day, it's positions. Corporate ladder. You know, climbing the corporate ladder. You know, uh, having your own business success in this world, possessions, positions, possessions, pleasures of life. And what do we do? We sacrifice our families, our friends, our church involvement, our health, our time, our, our spiritual lives, and our peace of mind in pursuit of these things. It's called the American dream. And uh, it creates all kinds of problems. I love Exodus 33. This is Moses, particularly in verses 14 and 15. Moses is getting ready to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. They're going to wander around in the wilderness and then go into the promised land. And, uh, and God says there in verse, uh, chapter 33, says, hey, listen, I've got to tell you something. I'm not going to take you into the promised land because you guys are a stiff-necked people and if I continue with you, I'm going to destroy you. But I'm going to send an angel, and I'm going to still give you the promised land, but this angel is going to lead you into the promised land. Now, he wasn't talking about his omnipresence was no longer going to be with him. He's talking about his manifested presence will no longer be with him. And what's so amazing is Moses' response. Moses says to God, hey, 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 wait, 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 wait. God, listen, if we don't have your presence, what do we have? How will, know, how will people know that we're yours and, and you're ours? And in fact, God, here's, here's what we believe is that we would rather wander around in the wilderness with your presence 
than to go into the promised land, the promised land, milk and honey, all the success and flourishing that this world has to offer on all the created things in this world. We'd rather wander around in the wilderness with your presence than to go into the promised land without your presence. Now, do you hear hear the weight, the significance, the, the glory he places upon the presence of God? They can have all the success in this world. If I have your presence, I prefer hard times, difficult times, wandering around in the wilderness. That's the significance of practicing the presence of God, the manifested presence of God. That's amazing. Idols will lose their appeal. You will realize he is better than life. That's the next one. Verses five through six. He's using metaphorical language here. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So he's using metaphorical language of when they would divide up portions of the promised land by line and distribute it by lot. And David is comparing God's presence in his life like inheriting a prosperous piece of the promised land in a magnificent setting entirely comprised of good things. He says, knowing you, and so he's kind of using human kind of understanding, saying, man, the best piece of property in the promised land doesn't even come close to, to what I have in you, is what he's saying. The Lord is, and the point that he's making is the Lord is what I want more than anything and he is all I need to be satisfied in life. As it tells us in Psalm 63:3, his steadfast love is better than life. So you thought your friends with all their big homes and cars and all the money in the bank and all that stuff that they were really, really living it? No, they're not. Not unless they have the presence of God. That's what it means to really live is to have the presence of God. This is what the, the psalmist is saying to us. And then he will give you counsel and courage. Look at verses seven and eight. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Counsel and courage. Here's the next one. You will have a heart full of joy and a body at rest. Look at verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My whole being. So worship is not just, you know, just our thoughts. It's our thoughts, emotions, will, our whole being. It engages and energizes our whole person. He says, my whole being rejoices. And then he says, my flesh also dwells secure. Woo. There's stress relief. I like that. And then here's the next one, another benefit. You will not fear death, and you will have the hope of heaven, verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. I'm not afraid of death. You're not going to abandon me at death. Or let the Holy One see corruption. And then here's the last one. You will see that intimacy with Him is life's most satisfying reality. You'll see that intimacy with Him is life's most satisfying reality. Look at verse 11. This is a good memory verse. You've shown me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Oh, I just, that's the wrong verse. Uh, verse 11, you've shown me the path of life. I added that other one, verse eight. I, I oftentimes memorize those together. You, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. 
Oh, it is. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Oh, that's right. I'm confused. Sorry. Are you guys confused? No, that's a great verse. It does go uh, similar to the verse 8. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Those are two really good memory verses. Add to that verse 4 where it says the troubles of those will increase who run after another God. And it kind of helps you to see, man, the only thing that will keep you from enjoying the presence of God will be idolatry and putting and loving anything more than you love, love him. Now, what's interesting about all these verses, these verses are about the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him. How do I know that? Because Peter says that in Acts chapter 2, verses 25 through 33. So how can we have this experience through Jesus Christ? By grace through faith in Christ, we have been reconciled to the Father and can enjoy the incomparable wealth of his presence. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've never done that, this would be a great morning to do that. Acknowledge your sin, believe that Christ died on the cross for your sin, and then confess him as Lord and Savior. Do that in prayer by faith in Christ. Give your life to him. It's a gift. Receive the gift that comes to us through Jesus Christ, the gift of eternal life. What is eternal life? Eternal life, John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The word know is not just information, it's about intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. God is closer than you think and more eager to connect with you than you could ever dream or imagine. And nothing is more satisfying, soul satisfying than practicing the presence of God. So next weekend we kick off a brand new teaching series, Come Home for Christmas. <laughs> and it's based on Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. We're going to talk about the three gifts that were given to the prodigal son when he came home. And we'll look at that each week as we head up to our Christmas Eve services. And uh, so I'll be up front at the end of the service. If you're new, I'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to commit your life to Christ, I'd love to pray with you about that. That's really an important decision. I'd love to pray with you about that. If you have any questions, I'd love to try to answer those questions for you also. And so let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. So Father God, we confess Jesus as our Savior and Lord that through his sacrificial love on the cross for us, you have given us the greatest gift you could ever give to us, and that is your presence in our lives, your presence in our lives. There's nothing we want more than to practice your presence, having a continuing conversation with you, feeding our souls on the highest thoughts of you, just being with you. Help us to do that more and more through the practice of spiritual disciplines so that we can experience these phenomenal benefits and blessings that are beyond our wildest dreams. We pray these things for your glory and our joy in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys. Amen.